Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Well, welcome back to Snacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Rowe. She's Eliani on the board. S&P Futures down 550. Nasdaq Futures down 36. She's Eliani all the time. She happens to be working the board right now. Just just saying. <laughs> um, not just once in a while when she's on the board. Do we have Mr. Lou? Good morning, sir. How are you, bud? Oh, I'm just uh, just peachy. Um, all kinds of stuff. 70, going on. 72, de- 72 degrees here yesterday. Um, there goes the snow. Well, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be the high. I think on Saturday or Sunday it's supposed to be thirty. Um, did they, they ever get a decent snowpack at the ski resorts? Um, a couple of places did. Uh, it's still, I mean, it's not it's not really that far below normal right now, but uh, they got enough they got enough snow to to function. Uh, I think we're still considered to be in a moderate drought throughout most of the state. But the snowpack's a little less than normal, not more? Uh, I think it's actually, it was actually above normal at the beginning of the year. I think it's right around normal right now, about 90% of normal. Sometimes you guys, though, uh, your, your biggest snow month is March, right? Yes, that's right. And, uh, up at the house I have up in the mountains, the biggest snow month is April. Okay. So. We're, we're hoping we're hoping for some more moisture. We, we skied uh, late in the year one year at uh, um, we were up, up in the Breckenridge area, and so we did uh, Breckenridge and Breck was it was so warm uh, that you had on some of the slopes that you know had the big sun face. Uh, there was like grass on one side, and you had to make sure you stayed on the non-grass side. Uh, yeah, I've, I've I've skied like that. Um, it, it's going to be it's going to be t-shirts and shorts uh, skiing weather here, which is really something to see when you're up there. Uh, uh, it is a, you don't want, you want to be one of the guys who falls in that, though. Well, you don't want to fall, and and the other thing is, I mean, for a lot of people, you know, that's their first exposure to the sun for the season. Yeah, and uh, you can burn, <laughs> you can burn in 15 minutes at that altitude. Well, the uh, this was oddest three days. Quick story before we get into all the crappy stuff that's going around around the world. Um, we did that at Breck. The next day we went to Vale, and we were in the back, well, I guess the back bowls, back area, wherever it was. And all of a sudden, the, by 10 o'clock in the morning, it was, it was pretty soft, pretty slushy snow. Well, the temperature must have dropped 50 degrees. All of a sudden, it's like zero after everybody's all sweated up, right? We, we, had, we knew it was going to drop, so we had our regular ski stuff on. We weren't running around in shorts or anything. But all of a sudden, the, the top... Inch or so of the snow froze. With the soft it's, stuff. You're, it's like skiing in the Midwest, then. Well, no, baby, I mean, you 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 weren't you weren't skiing on it. You were skiing in it, so your 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 ski boots are going along like cutting the ice. Yeah, <laughs> and so it was the weirdest darn thing. So the next day it was zero. So we went over to uh, uh, Breckenridge. God, you could have, you could have sworn I got the Zamboni out. One of the guys, little kids. We go to this one thing and it was it was like impossible to stop I and mean, you had to just really it was like it was like trying to stop in a stadium ice. There was one of those big orange things that says slow down where the kids barrels into it and takes out the whole side. <laughs> and I don't think that's why the sign was there. But uh, it was, well, well, I mean, if you're if you're used to Colorado skiing, you you don't see ice like that normally. No, I mean, the whole thing it yeah. was it was pretty bad. We, we we were out there an hour or so, but it was you know normally a little bit of ice is no big deal, but that was. Uh, the whole thing, you know, went from like 55 or 60 in the grass to 
changing conditions to the next day, it was like, God, you know, if it wasn't for an Olymp- I mean, if it was Olympic downhill, but we're not Olympic downhill kind of guys. So what, what in God's name, just reading this article this morning here, talk about a segue, uh, Western nations are trying to destroy Russians' economy and just might succeed. Um, what do you make of all this? Well, I, I can't believe there's... Well, I, that, that's, an act, that's an act of war. Well, I mean... Under, under, under international law, and um, we are... We being NATO and the EU, um, well, I, as I said in an email to you, we are we are in a closer to a World War One scenario than we are a World War Two scenario. And I, you know, at this stage, we we have to be very careful about doing something that's going to cause Putin to say to himself. I have a legitimate reason to attack Poland, to attack Hungary, to attack Romania, and and maybe the Baltics. Now, the, the question is whether we. Can, I mean, this this is this is real politics. This is Henry Kissinger. This is Metternich. This is uh, Clausewitz, kind of coming to the fore here. The role that we're trying to undertake is to keep the Ukrainians in the fight long enough that they attrit Russian forces they forced Putin to focus his attention on Ukraine rather than other places that he might try to take a bite out of and at the same time not trigger a response from Putin that will cause World War III to, to open up and that's a, that's a fine line we are we are technically committing acts of war against Russia right now. Russia would be, um, I think, within its rights under international law. Now have, they were the initial aggressor, so some of this gets depleted. But but the kind of actions we are taking are cause belli for causes belli for um, you know for the target country. The shutdown of the economy, the the supplying of weapons to Ukraine, all of this potentially opens up a, retaliate, a basis for retaliatory action by Russia. Yeah, but we're not the ones with tanks blowing up buildings like they are in a, in a place that's pretty peaceful. They're allowed. They're, I mean, they're allowed. You know, again, every time this happens, I, I get frustrated because, again, the international order and international law is is a little is a little vague on this. But the Russians are allowed to blow up buildings in other all people's right? countries. Well, I mean, they're allowed. They're allowed to attack legitimate uh, military, political, economic targets, and and occasionally you're going to get you're going to get collateral damage with that. Yeah, we're good and, at that too. So, well, I'm sorry, we're good at that too. Rumsfeld was the the perfect guy with the straight face would say, "Well, you know, collateral damage. They shouldn't have been." It that is. Thing. It is. It is collateral damage, yeah. and he's he's right. He's right. He was right when he said it. The question is whether you're targeting civilian targets. If you're targeting civilian targets just for the sake of hitting civilian targets, that's a war crime. That's a violation of, inter- of the international uh, standards. But having a missile, a stray missile, go somewhere, or uh, you know, whatever, is not. Uh, the argument is, is out there about cluster bomb units, CBUs. Well, you do, right? you do realize that once you once you open up that can of worms, you open up a huge can of worms. Which can of worms? 
Well, I'm saying it. Targets? Well, I mean, when when we were doing the stuff in uh, where the hell were we? Was it Syria or some damn place? Uh, when we were doing the stuff, if you know that that 25 percent of your missiles miss the target by at least a thousand yards, and one of them whacks a hospital, it's not exactly well. We didn't try to. I mean, you, you knew <laughs> you shouldn't. Well, be, you uh, but, but you're not required. You're not required to engage in. You know, precision strikes. That has not, that has not gotten to, the international law has not developed to that point. So you're not required to engage in precision strikes. You're required not to deliberately target protected targets like churches, hospitals, and civilian neighborhoods. You're not allowed to target those. Well, yeah, but this whole, it, it, well, I'm, I'm, sorry, but I don't, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, this whole idea of the, of, the, the, the rules of war. By the way, I, I know you're 100% correct on what the, quote, international rules are. You always are. And I don't know them. That's why I'm asking you. And but when I'm learning from them, it's like any, any other argument you have with somebody, especially a lawyer kind of guy. Uh, okay. <laughs> Who makes the rules? I mean, I mean, I, I remember reading a, one of, a book on World War One, and uh, they were talking about submarine warfare. So the Germans torpedo this British ship, and, and the thing goes down. There's all kinds of survivors in the water. And another British ship comes by and, uh, to pick up the survivors, so they torpedo that one too. So the, the British immediately run over to Geneva because their idea of, of naval warfare was you bring out your battleships, bring it, we bring out ours, and we have a big fight. And that's the only real way. It's like the Marcus of Queensbury rules on the water. Oh, by the way, we've got 40 battleships and you idiots got 15. So this is a cool way to do things. And you, and we should make a rule that says, you can't sink another ship if you don't have the ability to pick up survivors. Therefore, that leaves submarines out. Well, that's pretty interesting, Lou. I mean, <laughs> well, I, I mean that's that's the way it's it, it's always gone that way. Yeah. We after the Second World War, there was a, a fair amount of debate within the international legal community about whether you know you you should have to adopt uniforms and clear markings when a, a if for your troops, so that when they engage with with an enemy, it's easy for the you know the two sides to distinguish each other from from civilians. And a bunch of third world nations came forward and said, "We're not going to subscribe to that because if we want to take up anti-colonial warfare, we want to be able to use the civilian population as a shield." And and I mean that they didn't argue it that way, but that was the nature of their argument. That's what that's what went on in in Vietnam. That's what went on in um, in South Vietnam anyway. That's what went on in South Vietnam. That's what that's what went on in Iraq. That's what went on in in Afghanistan. And so, you know that that kind of conflict is, is again you have to go back to, to the rules of the forty thousand foot level. Are you deliberately targeting civilians? No. Okay. Well, if you're not deliberately targeting civilians, then then we're not going to pre- we're not going to prescribe your your operation. The use of certain types of weapons, for example, people saying CBUs are illegal. They're not. A CBU used against a legitimate military target is a legitimate weapon. Yeah, the problem you, is how does your neighbor you throw a CBU into a into a, a neighborhood where you you have maybe you know a, a, a tank park. And you blanket, you know, a six block area with, with a cluster bomb unit. Well, that, that's illegal because that's a disproportionate use of force 
for the military objective in which you're trying to trying to engage. So you're saying the Russians do not draw distinctions like that in their urban warfare. All right. So you, what you're saying is, if you got a beef with your neighbor, it's okay to invade according to international law, not according to your morals or anything like that. You're saying it's okay to invade somebody if you want to. No, I'm saying that if your neighbor has done certain things, you have provided international law legal justification for military strikes or action. So, so for Putin, theoretically, it would be um, permissible for the Russians to strike supply nodes and airports in Poland that are that are flying Stinger missiles, from which Stinger missiles are being are being shipped into Ukraine. Now, now he can't go he can't go beyond that, but that's his that would be his justification. The problem, of course, is once he does that, he triggers Article Five of, of the NATO uh, Convention. And now you've got a much wider conflict. All right, so if we're, if we're shipping bullets over there from O'Hare, he gets to bomb O'Hare. That, there's a justification for that, yeah. All right, well, yeah. my question is why he, uh, for supposedly somebody who's so smart, I've, I've been dying to talk to you this week because I've been kind of running this by a couple other people. In, in today's world, as long as you do something like in two or three days and get it over with, People will forget about it in a week, especially people on the other side of the world. That's the the Russians are counting on that. Well, but that's what they did with Crimea, and after a month later, people couldn't even tell you where the hell Crimea was. Uh, why didn't he just take his two provinces and, and go home? Well, that's what I thought he was going to do. I mean, I mean, I, I was under the impression. That's why I say this this move here is a is a I think a terrible long term mistake for for Russia proper. Because of the reaction that it's generated in, in NATO Europe, but but notwithstanding that, the Russian if you read the if you read the Russian um, commentary that's coming out on, on what I call the Russian nationalist Twitter, and I, I see those I see those tweets because I, I follow those feeds. Um, what you're seeing is a discussion that a the the Ukrainian nationalists do not deserve to exist. Ukraine doesn't deserve to exist as a nation. It never really is. It's a, it's a bandit, you know, literally a bandit province. The Russians are completely justified in going in and destroying the entire national culture of Ukraine, which is what this seems to be aimed at, and shattering, you know, the, the nascent Ukrainian nationalism and their ability to put a government together. The, uh, this is all supported by their by their Russian, as I call it, the great Russian nationalist um, idea. You, you ask why Putin made this move. He made this move because number one, he can. Number two, it it satisfies his desire to remedy the breakup of the Soviet Union. Yeah, but it was thirty years ago. I mean, it's like, it's like the French part of it. It's like the French want the Louisiana Purchase back. It's over, guys. No, 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 no. You don't understand what I would refer to as the mentality of, of people in Eastern Europe. And and one of the things that that I would point to was in the uh, during the uh, Yugos- the breakup of Yugoslavia when we were fighting in, yeah. in uh, Serbia. I mean, one of the um, complaints that was providing justification for what literally was genocide there was some battle that happened back in the 1300s 
and and they don't they don't they keep they keep this stuff alive. And again, this is this is goes. You and I have have the problem that we are Westerners, and our Western yeah, but I'm also I'm also Democratic, have, I'm also no, Irish. And I, look how our, long, look our, how long that was. Chief, our Western Democratic liberal outlook, and you you personify it every time I talk to you. Says this is economically stupid. Why would you do it? They don't care about economics. They care about nationalism. And, and, and this nationalism is much more powerful than, than an economic, a short-term economic gain or, or loss. This is national pride. And if you go to Russia, if you go to Putin and say, you don't want to do this, they're going to shut your economy down. His response is, we are entitled to have Ukraine. It, it, it is a part of Russia. It was illegally taken from us. We were entitled to have yeah, it back. It wasn't we're taken from them. It, it wasn't taken from them. They, they gave it up. No, it was taken from them by a, by a cabal of Western nations that have always sought to destroy Russia because Russia is the true site of, of uh, Christianity and and, mm. uh, and morality and spirituality. I'm not joking. I know. I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, that's why. That's why. That's why I want to hear from you because. Yeah, what, I mean, this what, is this what, is the this is the thought process of, the, of, of of Russian nationalism, and and they don't. The biggest thing that's been driving. I mean, this is why the Russians went into the Middle East. It was to it was to force the United States to recognize and deal with Russia as a peer. And that that's a victory for for a Russian right, political what, figure. I got a million other questions for you. Why why is India voting with Russia? India the the biggest the biggest thing the Indians want to do is remain as to be to be seen as a neutral. So they are not going to side with the West automatically. They want to keep a a middle position between the West. And and the east, and so they are. They get draw a lot of their, their supplies and weapon systems from from Russia, and so they they are not going to reflexively or strike that. They are reflexively not going to side with the West, with the colonial West, in a situation like this. All right, well, I heard, so, I'm learning from you the Eastern European mindset, but. For God's sake, Lou! I mean, they're, they're, they've been for thirty years now. They had the Russian, the palace crook in there for a while, the big, huge palace, which I was pretty jealous of, by the way. Uh, now they had this other guy in there. As, as su- suppose somebody here gets a hair up his behind and say, "I don't understand how come we, with the, when we broke away from the British, we didn't take Canada with us." I think we 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 should have Canada, and I'm sitting there going, "Okay, well that's interesting, but." What's the difference? There's people living up there. We're trading with them, just like if they were, just like it was uh, North North Dakota. What's the difference? I mean, why not? What, if people want to be on their own, let them be on their own. I, I don't know what you gain by it. I guess I, that's the part you're. You're right. My liberal economic mind does not does not get it. Right, and 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 the idea is you gain you gain a national sense of of pride and power from conquering or taking back that which you originally perceived as yours. So it's it's Mike Reich all over again. War is they got it. We want it. Let's take it. That's that's a big well. That's a big part of it. Yes, and and you know we, we've provided that there's a, there's an argument to be made that that again we facilitated this with, with huge our argument. actions. For example, in 2014, when we forced out the Russian 
the pro-Russian president of, of Ukraine, forced her out, forced out the, the forced all those people back to Russia. That was engineered. That was engineered in part by the CIA, and and the you know, the Russians the Russians know it. Okay, they look at that as part of an ongoing Western conspiracy to move forces, NATO forces, right up against the Russian border, so that we could, so that NATO could destroy Russia. That's the narrative. Okay, I, 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 I get that. I just, um, and I, I, I tough refresh my memory because, by the way, a couple of my good friends and one of the contributors to the show is is all over that mentality. I mean, you've, you've read some of the stuff from Carl and a couple of my other. Uh, Actually, Yiddish friends feel the same way, um, but I, I don't. I don't. It, it, and in my mind, I'm not in as much as you guys. But my, my mind was, we got to go to break here. But didn't weren't Biden and Flynn and all those guys? weren't they weren't they working for the Russian guy? weren't they? He was paying them, right? Which Russian guy? The, the Mr. Palace. Tell us oh, his name. Putin? No, uh, the Ukrainian guy. They had the massive palace. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, they were. They were on. The, that, I mean, the Ukrainian government has been corrupt from day one. I'm saying, but our guys were getting paid by him. I, I, I guess I'm a little stunned. We're going to go to break, but that all of a sudden we, we, like the Hunter Bidens and the Flynns of the world, that were making money from that guy. They didn't do his overthrow, did they? While they were taking a check from the guy. Biden is Hunter Biden was taking checks from the Ukrainians all the way up until what. 2018 okay. or 2019. So he was he was a he, he was a two-handed check guy. Let's go. Cool. Yeah. Oh yeah, he was they were not they were all they were interested in was milking the Ukrainian government whatever, whatever they for, to for, for whatever influence payments they thought they could make. Right, SP Futures down a whole 50 cents, NASDAQ Futures down 22. So far, looks like an inside day. We'll be right back. Stocks and Jack. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. The Control Freaks Guide to Life, Money, and Probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation of the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. 
But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage healthcare costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation and human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Okay, that's what she does. With- Hello, hello, and welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. Had a quick phone call about the, the little dog at my house that I'm babysitting. It was a lady downstairs. Is she okay? I go, what do you mean? Is she okay? Well, she's barking at everybody out the front window. I guess that, that's what she does. She's a dog. <laughs> she, she, she's out, outraged. Just her, the whole neighborhood is hers. Uh. <laughs> she, so she, it's a whole place is hers, and then after about an hour of that, she just... She's like a union dog. She, she goes and takes a nap for two hours. Then it's, then it's okay. <laughs> like, yeah. Anyway, S&P futures down 75 cents. NASDAQ futures down 24. Dow futures are, are unchanged. Um, the, uh, okay, I want you to give traffic weather sports and I'll be right back. All right, sounds All right. good. Uh, good morning, everyone. Currently, 6.35 a.m. on March 3rd. Let's start with sports. Uh, Suns beat Trailblazers last night, 120-90. to And for the Bulls, they'll be, they'll be playing ATL Hawks tonight. Uh, in hockey, Blackhawks will be playing the Oilers tonight, and Coyotes will be playing the Avalanche. In college basketball, SIU loses to Tennessee State, 62-77, and Arizona Wildcats will be playing Stanford tonight. Big game. Looking at weather this morning, I'm going to refresh my page here. Uh, currently cloudy in Chicago, 31, with a high of 33 and a low of 27. And Phoenix, currently partly cloudy, 58, with a high of 88 and a low of 57. Traffic this morning, we have traffic eastbound on 290 between the I-88 West Ramp and Austin. There is an accident on 294 just before the 290 Route 20 exit, causing traffic between the 290 connector and Roosevelt. Uh, this traffic eastbound on I-90 between the 294 Tri-State Ramp and Lawrence. Traffic eastbound on 94 between West Division and Canal Port. Traffic uh, westbound 94, intermittent traffic, excuse me, westbound on I-94 between 130th and 83rd. And then that traffic picks up again at 47th, and that goes to East Ohio. And we have traffic northbound on 55 between Route 71 and South Kedzie. And, uh, Chief, are you ready for me? Ready. Just, uh... More than anybody needs to know, but the little, 
She's a Maltese, so she what is she? Fifteen pounds at, at, at best. Yeah. Maybe twelve. And you can tell if you're sitting there. But like the low growl is a person across the street. <laughs> a little bit more than that is like a dog. But then if there's a dog in front of her house. Yeah. This, this is this is cause for <laughs> this is cause for absolute mayhem. You know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, SP futures unchanged. Nasdaq futures down twenty. We were de- they were down. When we came in. Dow futures up actually up fifteen. Individual stocks in the Dow of any kind of note. Uh, Actually, kind of nothing. We got uh, CVX, Chevron's up a buck thirty-five, which is not surprising with oil up. We got Honeywell up a buck, Intel down a buck. So nothing, nothing. We're right now. We've got nothing going on really. Over in Europe, we've got the DAX down ninety-eight point seven percent, FTSE down fifty-one point seven, CAC around actually up nine point one percent. Over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei up one eighty-four. They were clobbered yesterday. Shanghai down three. Call that flat. They've been stable through this whole mess. Hang Seng was down yesterday. They're up one twenty-three today, point five percent. So everything's kind of up, down, up, down. And really, at the end of a couple of weeks, is not that much changed. But boy, it's been crazy keeping up with it. Yesterday was Dow was up five ninety six, and if I had to guess, I'd say the day before we were down five ninety seven or something, almost the exact same number. That, that's unusual. Uh, S and P's was up eighty, Nasdaq up two nineteen. Again, almost a mirror image of the day before. Uh, bonds unchanged at one point eight six. They were two. They were down to one point seven one. Now they're sort of in the middle of that range. A bond is back positive, 0.07 after ducking negative for a day or two. Japan uh, up one basis point to 0.17. So a little bit of more of a recent normality, shall we say, is coming into the bonds. Uh, oil up 257, 113.17. Rent up 229, 115.22. Natural gas down a penny, 475. Arbot up, up another six cents, 337. And I have uh, the suburban is pretty close to E. Can't imagine what a 42 gallon is going to cost me today or tomorrow. Uh, gold up 14 bucks, 1937. Silver up 29 cents, 25.48. Copper up 8 cents, 4.75. And we've got Bitcoin down 193 bucks, but still 43,609, which is right near recent highs. Uh, Blue, we don't have to do traffic with our sports. We already did it, so we're back. Right. Uh, uh, you want to hear small dog stories? Um, yeah, they they really do think they're big dogs, don't they? So we, we, in a previous life, I owned a, two dogs called Papillons, but my ex-wife's favorite. And those dogs are, first of all, they're tiny. They're, they're, you know, I don't know, 10 pounds maybe. It, at, that, you know, if you, if you dunk them in, in a pool. Very smart, which surprised me. I was always, I'm always amazed how smart small dogs are. But, but yeah, the, the, a completely incorrect perspective on their relative ability to deal with, you know, the world. Oh yeah. Those dogs those dogs acted like they were, you know, Bengal tigers <laughs> instead of, you know, ten pound ten pound hairy rats. Yeah. You know, and, and they were they were they were ferocious. They would you know they were just and they were all over everything and they challenged everything. And uh yeah. But so so I get I get it that, that your dog is a little bit yappy. Well, the lady next door, or the people next door, had a uh, a border terrier. Have you ever seen one of those things? They're, they're maybe, yep. maybe what are they, 13, 15 pounds on a bad day? And uh, she was uh, a voracious rat hunter. And to the point where if a rat ducked in a hole before she got there, she'd be like crying that she missed the rat. She she took down a couple of rats like twice her size, just grabbed her by the neck, shook them, they were dead. And it was just, it was like, I mean, she was, she was into it. <laughs> So it's, it's really it's really interesting <laughs> seeing that kind of instinctive stuff come yeah. out in dogs. 
Well, they all have their uh, own uh, their own little thing. You, you ever know people that have uh, Burmese mountain dogs? Yeah. Well, they're the sweetest dogs, but they're but they're leaners. They like to, when they yeah. sit down, they lean on your leg. Well, the guy in the neighborhood had one. He had this huge male. I think he told me he was 160 pounds. He was massive. His name was Otis. We go on the street. Otis liked me. I'm petting his huge head, and all of a sudden, Otis sits down on my foot, and he's leaning against my leg. I'm going, Otis, don't you know, buddy? You're 160 pounds. What's the matter with you? Oh no, they they lean they lean into people. Um, if you ever get a like an Australian Shepherd or a Border Collie, um, they will herd your kids. I mean, right. we had an Australian Shepherd that would literally pen our two boys up in their in the in their rooms. It would it would go back and forth between their bedrooms if they tried to come out and try to keep them in there. It, it, it's really interesting to see that kind of instinctive behavior come out. Well, Kathy Durbin, uh, who's to help with the show long before COVID, uh, had a Sheltie. So I watched her Sheltie for a weekend. I don't know where she went, but and they're, they're little herders. And she'd be on one side of the street, and she'd just look at the other side of the street, and you'd see some people there, and she'd just get outraged. They're, they're just not standing right. They need to be over there and straighten them out. <laughs> They need to be standing. They need to be. They need to be in a pen somewhere. They need to yeah. be someplace. So, anyway, what uh, with all this conflation of international law, everybody outraged. Just in, in, in the world today, uh, Putin sort of needs to understand. Well, I think you know, nobody needs to understand anything that I think. But uh, you can get away with nine hundred murders if they're on a if they're on a Friday night and nobody hears about them. All you need is one that goes viral on Saturday morning, and that thing will be in front of everybody for the next five years. And he has to understand that he's he, he's gone past the time where people are going to forget about this. This has now become cause celeb. Or if you don't, if your company isn't doing something against Russia, or if this isn't happening, or if you're not kicking this Russian guy out of your local basketball team or something, I mean, it's it, it's reached the point where he, he's totally he's got the other the absolute other side of uh, everybody forgetting about everything in 20 minutes. It seems to me he, he's, he's totally misread the way the world. Whatever happened to him in Crimea that helped him out, everybody forgot about it after a week. Is going full bore against him right now. I think his position is: I can turn all of this around with one presidential order to shut the gas off to Europe. Okay, and and I think that's his. I think that's his mindset. You know, they. He keeps we keep we keep doing all this stuff, you know, banning Russia teams at FIFA and and taking uh, you know taking the yachts from uh, Russian oligarchs and uh, shutting down. Now, Russian civil aviation is about to shut down in another week or so, I think, because of uh, lack of spare parts and maintenance support and things like that. That's, that's all being cut off. But uh, I think his his position is: if they hate me, why are they buying my oil? You know. Well, the United they, States is buying what is it, six hundred fifty thousand barrels a day from me. We're we're we're, we're buying, you know, we're paying seven hundred and fifty million dollars a day for uh, for Russian oil, and so Putin says to himself, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, all this all this foo for and and, uh, and issues. You know, my people can take it. We're tough. We're Russian. We can take it. And ultimately, who's got the hammer? I've got the hammer." Because if I turn the if I turn the oil and gas off, people in Europe freeze. Well, they don't freeze as much in the middle of March if he done it two months ago. Uh, he he's he's got to all he's got to do is make is make them uncomfortable. He he believes the Russians believe as, as a sort of a, a national character point 
that they are tougher than anybody else, that they can weather more hardship than anybody else. They have a historical basis for that, of course. And, and that, you know, ultimately the West will cave because the, because Western businesses cannot see past the dollar sign. Well, what you're saying this is, goes back, this goes back to, this goes back to the famous comment by, by Lenin, who said, we will sell the capitalists the rope by which we hang them. The other way around. Or capital, I'm sorry, right, yeah. sorry, capitalists will sell, yeah, sorry, yeah, capitalists will sell, to, sell us the rope by which we hang them. That, that's correct. Well, I, uh. That's, that's their worldview. After watching the two Ruskies in the 30-kilometer... Sure, so the short answer is, I don't think they are moved right now by what's happening to their economy as a result of international international pressure. I, you know, I don't, well, first of all, you know you know the way more than me are the ones that, that watch the Russian TV and can speak Russian, but I, I, I don't... I, I see the, the... They're not the same as us, okay? I saw the two Ruskies in the 30-mile uh, kilometer race when it was freezing, and they, they hung in and everybody else didn't. So, yeah, I'm with you there. They clearly are a tough people. But I, we, we look at our place here, and, and you and I, we come on the show, we've been doing this for a long time. We don't like the idea that the top, you know, 5% of the one percenters or whatever have a certain percentage of this economy because they steal it from people. Uh, yet, Russia, what, what is what do you suppose, Lou? What percentage of the economy, Putin and his top 500 closest, you know, knife, uh, knife wielders, what percentage of the Russian economy do you think they take? I mean, people, oh, I, can't, people I, can't. I don't like know, that. but it's it's substantial. I mean, people. I mean, I mean, I mean, Russia, Russia is a kleptocracy. But I mean, they're not. They're 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 tough people. They're solid people. I mean, I've I've known many. Now we're near like you. I never never met anybody I didn't like from Russia. I, I don't I don't but I mean they they they're not that stupid. <laughs> you know, that this we we got we got to hold this together and now we got to go get killed so these 500 people keep taking no, all this. The, Rus- the Russian national character if I can if I can generalize is is very fatalistic and and very um depressed sort of depressing. They are not optimists. They're pessimists. Well, I know the the, the women surely are. Because the, the men don't treat them all, or traditionally maybe have not treated everybody all that well. Everybody's drunk, or you know whatever. It's, I mean, I, that's that's way too much of a generalization. They, they, but their government, Putin, and the people running Russia right now view feminism as an indicator of weakness, of national weakness. It's one of the reasons why they think their armed forces could take us in a conflict. Um. Man, I don't know. We have women. We have women fighting. Uh, somebody, I, I, and, I'm and, not so sure. And we worry they... about people. We worry about people's feelings, and we worry. You know, the Chinese, by the way, have a similar outlook uh, as a as a sort of a national perspective. Well, but but and again, I'm generalizing. But you know, the the Russians, the Russian character is that basically life and the power structure around the, the cultural. Things that surround you in your in your nation are always going to be skewed in favor of a select few. We would rather have a strong, corrupt government that maintains peace, its local local uh, peace, and that is seen as a figure of strength on the international uh, stage because everybody else is out to get Russia. Well, everybody's that, out to get everybody. Pretty much the mindset. I mean, I, I, 
I, I guess I, I the, the part about you know five guys versus five ladies in a foxhole in hand-to-hand combat, you got to go with the guys. But I'm not so sure that these Russian pilots want to think not so hot of a of a of a U.S. American fighter pilot who happens to be female. I don't. I think you, you don't want to make that bad. I, I think you you might but they, you might, but you they might, do well. I, I know, but you, it might be a huge mistake. <laughs> Just well, uh, well, I, I mean, uh, again, the, the the we're generalizing here. Yeah, well, but but the perspective the perspective of the people that Putin is playing to here, and that his government is playing to, are are generally paranoid. There's a there's an international paranoia. The international community is out to get us. The West is out to destroy us. By the way, you, you see a certain extent, to a certain extent, some of that in India, which is a reason why they are trying to not hook up with uh, Western colonial powers in in uh, their uh, their assault on, on Russia. So yeah, they're trying to walk walk the line there between between Russia. China and the West. Well, when they needed 90 bazillion COVID vaccinations, they didn't go to Russia for them. you got to be careful when you start biting the hand to feed you. Uh, that's true. But, but, the, but, you know, they also, they also have a very, they have very good connections within, within Western economic, uh, circles. And, and so they're not nearly as concerned about being cut off as, as the Russians would be. Well, I mean, I, at least, at least on, at least on this. I mean, this is, this is, we're going to have to engage right now in, in Henry Kissinger real politics. All right. Our enemy is the, is, is the Russian Federation right now. It is, it is run by a guy who wants the United States to disappear. He wants Europe, the United Europe to disappear. He is vehemently opposed to Western liberal democracy. That's our opponent. We are playing now in a sandbox with that guy and his and his army. Our best bet, given the fact that he is an existential threat to Europe and to the United States because of his nukes, our our play right now is to arm the Ukrainians to the extent that we can, cause them to wear down the Russian military. By the way, I don't know if you've noticed this, but a lot of the destroyed equipment in, that's in Ukraine is old. Oh yeah, it's it's T seventy two. I said T seventy two tanks. T seventy two tanks back are back in the nineteen eighties. That's forty. It's uh, that equipment's forty years old. Um, he is. We, we cause him to attrit his people and his forces, embarrass them, but not swing. have to cost us anything other than a few billion dollars in terms of supplies that we transfer in there not costing us blood maybe costing us a little treasure we can fight russia on the cheap through ukraine that is a that is a hard-nosed clear-eyed look at what's going on there we do not want to get involved directly against russian forces because that will cause and i think runs the risk of causing an immediate and and almost Domino effect kind of escalation. I don't disagree with that. I, I I'm going to ask you, uh, you know, questions from uh, from my field of view. Be, but it's going to be horrific for the people of Ukraine. Well, just from my point of view, uh, Lou, you, you talk about this is kind of the the Russian mentality, and it's and it's it's certainly. I think you can describe him to a T. 
Um, in some ways, the man was not violent. He was actually a very nice guy. Uh, it reminds me a little bit of of Mayor Daly, the original Mayor Daly, uh, Richard J. He was a guy that really thought good politics was good government. Good, good government was good politics, and uh, he ran the place of an amazingly tight ship. Okay, much like Putin, and uh, but he also the guys around him weren't quite as pure. There was an awful lot of money, and he knew that those guys were, were picking up all kinds of cash. Unlike Putin, he didn't participate to any huge extent in the cash amount. But it seems like after a period of time, the guys around you like that, after years, get pretty fat and, and happy. I I don't believe, as much as, you know, different. they don't really think different than me, I don't believe that the that the 500 losers around him starting to, having to chase their yachts into places they can't even get them out of and losing money overseas. I don't know how 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 tried and true they are to the to the Putin doctrine. It, it, uh, and do you th- what do you think? I know well, he thinks that's, like a, that. that's a good that's a good question, but I, I mean one of the issues that you see with Russian businessmen if you do work with them is they are not part of the global elites. You know, they never, unlike our global elites who lose their attachment to the United States, we have, we have thousands of our highly educated, very competent people working at the top of government and business, and they don't look at themselves as Americans first. If they did, they wouldn't be doing the things that they do. Russian businessmen tend not to be like that. They tend to be Russia first, and then, yeah, I'll do business with you, but I'm always going to remain a Russian because I'm suspicious of you. That's part of my national character. So the because guy's not my impression of dealing with with the Russians. So the guy's not going to mind. I don't know if he's as part of having to sell the New Jersey Nets on the cheap to get out of here because nobody wants to go to a game or anything like that. I mean, is that I mean, we're, we're, we've got some people here. Who's the guy selling the soccer team in, in uh, Europe? Yeah, Abramov. I mean, I I don't know if these guys they they got to be asking Putin what, what are we doing here. I think I think they probably are, but you know, at, at the at the bottom at the bottom line, and and you know, I'm not, again, I'm generalizing that, that that these guys are not are not members of the elites, but but I I think what you you would find is uh, you know they're gonna they're, they're gonna be comfortable, and and they got ties back to Russia, and they got family back in Russia, and they they want to be able to go back and visit their dacha and. And get back into a more comfortable culture, and uh, they, they they will line up with him. I mean, have any of these guys denounced Putin? Well, not that we know of yet. Has Ovechkin has Ovechkin denounced Putin, the hockey player? He's actually been called out, and, and I haven't heard anything coming out of these guys. Well, if if you, uh, if, you know, I don't know. I'm just I'm just, I'm just kind of spe- speculating. I just don't want people lobbing nukes, but. I mean, I don't know that he's going to get embarrassed over in uh, Ukraine. I don't think they're going to, quote, lose. But if the Ukrainians don't give up, that, that army he's got over there is not enough to hold a country that size. Let me, that's right. Let me, let me tell you, as I said, that's we, our goal, our national goal right now is if, we, if the Ukrainians cannot defeat them up, uh, and, and stop the occupation of you know, key cities, then, then our goal should be to inflict upon Russia a 10 or 20 year war that will grind down their people and grind down their equipment 
and cause them to have to focus an inordinate amount of attention on what's going on there. I'm just on a, uh, um, uh, a, shall we say, a military stuff, which you know, obviously you know way more than me. On our end, we've decided that uh, we're mate, we're that future wars are going to be SEAL team kind of stuff. We don't really need 16 aircraft carriers. Tens enough uh, because whatever is going to happen is going to happen real fast. Uh, we, there's all kinds of. I think going on behind the scenes that they're not telling me, or you, but you, you got, you're close to it. Uh, there's all kinds of mentality here. I don't know how, how, how could, could we put 200,000 people in a spot and are we set up to, to have them bullets and gasoline and all the other stuff, toilet paper, you name it, that goes with it for, for five years? I don't think we're set up for that, are we? We're better set up than they are. Well, I, that, that I would probably agree, but I mean, I'm saying they're not, are they? Who, the Russians? Yeah. They've been having, this, this is, it's one of the interesting things that's been coming out. And again, part of this, I, I'm trying to be very careful not to be too, listening to too much pro-Ukrainian propaganda. But, but some of the stuff that I've been reading indicates that they were sent, they were sent into the field with, you know, about five or four or five days worth of food with the rations. And that the field rations, somebody, somebody noted that the field rations that that they were capturing from from some of the tanks and trucks that have been disabled have expired dates that are like twenty years twenty years back. Um, in other words, the rations the expi- expiration date on the rations is is older than the guys who are in the trucks. Um, I mean, I think there's a, I think there's an issue there with with how with how the Russians have gone to war in this case, and they may not have they may not have been very well very well equipped. I mean, once that they wouldn't get, surprise me, given their economic situation. Once they get through the two let, let, let me back up on our, because this is an important point. I think one of the reasons Putin moved now is because he's got a very weak American president who looks like he's on his last legs, you know, every time he gets up and talks, who doesn't scare anybody, who, who already telegraphed exactly what our response would be so Putin didn't have to guess. He's got that guy in the White House and he's got, he's still got an equipment, the, the, the equipment gap between what we are fielding right now and what NATO is fielding and what the Russians can field if they have to is not that wide. But we are widening that gap now. Our research and development stuff is coming to the fore. We are starting to field weapon systems that are going to create real problems for, for Russia and for China. And so the opportunity window to do something like like a Ukrainian invasion with impunity is is might be at its widest point right now, but that window is going to close, and and so the idea that we're going to be fighting with SEAL Team Six, no, we're we're not going to be fighting with SEAL Team Six, and we may not be building a lot of super aircraft carriers, but we are building ships and putting capabilities on ships that will disperse our ability to strike an opponent. You know the navy. The navy has been outfitting um, all kinds of vessels with vertical launch systems. You know, minesweepers and supply ships. Uh, the air force has been, been has practiced now and demonstrated the capability to drop cruise missiles out of cargo aircraft. The idea being that we are going to disperse because of the lethality of modern guided weapons. We are now dispersing our capability across as many platforms and as many areas as possible. 
because that was what we think war is going to look like in the future with a near peer. Should I call these guys? I can put a missile on top of my suburban. It's big enough to carry it. Well, here, here's how this is going to work, Chief, and I think we've talked about that. So you would have some kind of aircraft, like an F-35 or something like that. Well, a little how about it. saving this till next week? we got to get Mr. Dan's waiting. Hey, oh, yes. Okay, sorry. Hey, thanks, buddy. Uh, good, good stuff. I mean, stuff, you know, before I say something, I like to find out kind of a little bit what I'm talking about, and you always help with that. Thank you. Uh, that's, yes, futures, very, uh, that's very gracious. Down Talk a buck and a half. NASDAQ Futures down 29. Be right back, Mr. Dan Janitas. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They're located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Well, welcome back to Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Osh. She's Eliani on the board. SP Futures down a buck and a quarter. NASDAQ Futures down 25 for the first time in a while. We don't have to talk about some massive move one way or the other here. So we can talk about uh, investing in a saner level with Mr. Dan. Dan, how are you here, buddy? I'm here, yes. What, uh, Absolutely. So are you are relaxing here this morning? You can actually drink your coffee without pounding on, the, on, your, on, your, on your keyboard? <coughs> <laughs> Actually, I went to a bike ride early this morning, hey, so they let out let out the uh, the frustrations. But that, but we've actually had a good, you know, performance wise, it's been very good. I think it's just, you know, um, trying to to you know to steer the ship in this this um, environment is is definitely been challenging. But um, but we're doing it. We're you know we've been uh, staying ahead of the curve and way ahead of of the. Uh, Indices that we we uh, our benchmark indices were way you know way ahead for year to date. So our style tends to do well in 
periods like this where there's uncertainty because we're more conservative and we're not seeing the same losses that, you know, say NASDAQ has or the same volatility that um, we've seen in the equity markets recently. So, um, you know, we're, we're, um, we're actually doing pretty well. Well, good for you because uh, actually, well, as you know, we do a, a, you know, a part of, we do a lot of subcontract work for people in protected programs. So the, so we have, you know, depending on the on the person, <clears throat> as you well know, so some people we might have, you know, sixty or seventy percent of their 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 investment, or certainly their investment in that particular firm. Some people, you know, think they're they're they're, uh, you know, based on the last twelve years in the market, think that you're you know got to pull a canine out of them to get ten percent of their stuff protected. So, of course, with me, I. What, I, what I, the stuff we have, we've been kind of doing fine. Actually, we've been we've been you know doing better than fine because the move, the movement around, we actually just for our regular adjustments, it actually becomes us almost like trading the market, which is really not what we start out to do. But the adjustment one day and adjustment the next day, I mean, you end up you end up really buying low and selling high. But all I keep thinking about is the eighty percent that's not hedged. You know, so right. I mean, okay, so I mean, I, I can't. You, you, you know, if, if somebody says, I got $10 million, by the way, I'll give you half a million to be protected. And you go, well, it's a nice account. I mean, you're not going to turn it down. But you're also, hey, buddy, if, if you think you need protection, you're not exactly, it's like, it's like you know, uh, it's like insuring one of the fenders on your car. I mean, you know, what's the point of that? Um, but, I mean, so, like I said, you know, you hope that you do a good enough job that next year the market hasn't fallen apart and somebody says, oh, you know, well, I'll do more or whatever. As people get older, they should do more. But that's not the way sometimes people think, you know that. I mean, just right. no, no, absolutely. And um, you know, this environment. I mean, there's been a lot of volatility, and you know, um, I like to step back and look at the secular trends, you know, the big picture trends, because so so many investors today, and so much of the media, um, you know, uh, television media um, has been on like the very short term and trying to make money in the very short term. And you can do that. You can absolutely do that, and you can do that in a volatile market. But you gotta look at the secular trend, and the secular trend, it's not, you know, normally the inflation, the inflation's been exacerbated obviously by what's going on in, in Russia and the Ukraine, but it's also been exacerbated by what's going on in energy in general and supply chain, and you know, there's just some very basic principles that, um, you know, seem clear to those of us who've been following the markets for decades. Um, you know, I think a lot of the administration is not really doesn't really understand, um, you know, you know economics and how companies are impacted by this and 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 all that. But I think our job in this period is to you know to weather the storm, you know, to protect our clients' assets. And for those clients who want a little more, you know, you can you can find opportunities in a volatile market, but you but you really got to you know I, I say just allocate or cut a you know cut a small piece of it if you're if you're close to retirement. I mean, don't look at putting all your money there and expecting to try to earn back something because when we have geopolitical issues like we do today, we can manage as well as we want. We can do as much research as we want, but we have no control what, for example, is going on in, you know, over in the, the Ukraine. And we also, you know, we also uh, don't necessarily know what the administration is going to do. We hope that they become wiser and really start focusing more on opening up, for example, our, our uh, energy um, here in our production here, and um, I guess the thing, the, the main thing I would say as a, as a message in terms of you know we we do a fair amount of research, and the research we've been doing recently has been focused on um, 
looking at the energy sector and are um, looking at utilities, looking at oil and gas companies. And um, I've been doing this from the start in my career because I was a high-yield bond portfolio manager, and the high-yield bond index has a large percentage of energy companies. I heard a couple of, you know, growth equity managers talking recently, and they're saying that, hey, you know, energy is a very small part of the S&P. Well, it is, but all the companies that you're investing in are still impacted. You know, they're still, we're still impacted. So higher oil prices are absolutely going to have a negative impact on any company that delivers goods, whether it be by air or by freight or by truck. You know, there's, there's no question. So there's that issue, I think, with inflation that is, that is, um, you know, that isn't really being focused on, but, but that needs to be focused on. The other issue is that a lot of the companies, these energy companies, NASTEC, which is a company that does, um, you know, infrastructure, uh, mostly with wireless communications, and they do some clean energy, um, but they also do oil and gas pipelines. They do maintenance, and, and they actually do some construction, and their, their quarter was off a little bit. The stock was down a little bit in, in the quarter, and part of the reason for that is that there has been, you know, there's been some shutdowns and there's been some, you know, let's put this project on hold. And we're actually, you know, from my mind, just from all my experience in the industry, we really need to be going full force and, and you know, um, with these projects. And, and that should never have stopped. And it, it has caused a, you know, it has caused a sort of a cloud over the industry. Um, what people don't realize is that these pipes are being replaced with pipes, you know, natural gas um, pipelines have been replaced with pipes that, prohibit or greatly reduce emissions. So the companies that are in these industries have made huge strides already. And that got, that for some reason gets overlooked when people are talking about issues like climate change. And, you know, understandably, we need climate change, but I think right now the focus should be on, you know, getting our, you know, and I listen to Biden's speech, and on one hand he's saying, you know, make, make it in America, but that should also go for, you know, the, <laughs> the resources of power, which which are definitely gas and, and oil, and, um, you know, the companies that are best suited to to continue with clean energy are the ones that are already in the energy space. Dan, without, so, without regard to which party the man is in, can there be a bigger waste of time in the last 40 years of your life than watching the State of the Union thing? It, well, I, I think the thing is, I just I, I think it's necessary to kind of hear what's being said and see if it does have an impact on the markets. I don't really think... In the long run, it does have an impact because it's just a lot of rhetoric um, that's being discussed, and it seems like there's a lot of information that's being thrown out to different constituents that really doesn't necessarily. I mean, you can't please everybody. I think the you know what we need to do in our business is focus on the impacts of any type of changes um, that you know impacts to our business, impacts right. to the economy, impacts to the financial markets, and specifically impacts to the companies we invest in. And I am hoping that there's some you know, uh, waking up, and, and hopefully it won't be too late in terms of realizing that we need we do need to continue um, moving forward with our production here of of energy. Um, we do need to continue moving forward with um, clean energy, but those those two things can be done side by side. They are already being done side by side. So for some people, you know, especially um, some of the progressive people who are saying, you know, let's flip the switch and, and suddenly it's clean energy, it doesn't work like that. And what's going to happen is we're going to pay a big price for it. We already are paying a big price for it, but we're going to uh, pay a bigger price for it. Dan, because what, uh, even though you think in the equity markets that that you know the index has a small amount of energy, 
and like I said, every other company is, is has some impact. Anytime somebody gets on an airplane or, oh, yeah. or the, you know, any factory is going to be run by um, by oil or gas. So it's it's you know we're not there, and I think there needs to be some some realistic. Um, uh, you know, things need to become Dan, what? more realistic, and hopefully that that will happen um, in time, and hopefully in the short term, we'll start getting we'll start seeing some um, movement in that direction. But I think that's what we need to see happen in order to see a stabilization in the market, and also in you know with oil prices, gas prices, energy prices in general. I mean, the the you know the comment about the coming in that speech about the um, yeah we, we, we want to keep paying people more you know with this but by the way we want to cut costs well the thing is anybody who's followed companies over the last few decades knows that the companies out there right now are doing a really good job of managing costs they've brought their cost structure down from the 80s till today in a significant way and this is the majority of companies across all industries well, that's the only way they can remain competitive you, uh, so if wages go up you don't have a whole lot more that you can cut on the cost side. I mean, it's you know that it's a it's a just a it's naturally going to happen. But I think we do need to to focus more on inflation, and I really do think a lot of it stems from what's going on in uh, well, two things. I think it's certainly oil and the energy sector, and then the second thing is just getting people back to work. Dan, what is uh, things I think that are going to help stabilize? Um, you've uh, you've got me with a list of like four questions here for you. Sure. Um, what, because you know, whenever whenever you say something intelligent, I got to ask I got to ask for the backup question, right? Which is most of the sure. time. Uh, other than the Keystone XL, which maybe the two of us could fight about, you know, to me that was a kind of a bastard pipeline. Anyway, it was straight from Canada to a few refineries and to, to make up for the loss of Venezuela and kind of crappy oil. It's been so. I was not, you know, all over that one to start with, but. What other ones, uh, like from the permit, are there other pipelines that have been shut down other than that one? Everybody brings that one up as the, as, as the poster child, but I'm not near as worried about that one. Is, is, have other ones been shut down that make more sense? Yeah, well, what the, what the problem is with the other ones is that there's, um, they need to be um, updated and upgraded, and there needs to be funds to, to upgrade some of these pipelines to more energy efficient and, and you know, um, fewer emissions. And so... Uh, NASDAQ, for example, is, is currently doing that with, um, you know, because they're they're a subcontractor, so they're doing that with a number of different energy companies already. And a number of the energy companies are are, are trying to do this, but there has been certainly has been cutbacks. Um, in, you know, in 2021, there were definitely cutbacks to the funding for these projects. So it, there there's been um, you know either delays um, or cutbacks. Um, and that's the direction that we're moving in. But as I'm saying, is I think we need to move. You know, those those uh, we need to move back in the other direction. Well, if, if, everybody's, we're, if everybody's bitching you know, about years ago trying to to you know expand the infrastructure here and update the infrastructure here as well, those are two two important things. Well, um, people but, are bitching but, about about wasting energy. The most efficient thing there is is a pipeline. Yeah, pipeline and you know natural natural gas is is a great um, do you know the source st- of energy. Do you know the status? Only because when you when you lob out a bunch of stuff, you know I'm going to I'm going to think you know everything. Like the professor on Gilligan's Island. Uh, mm-hmm. What is the status of the p- gas pipeline from the North Slope? Do you have any idea? I don't know. I, I you know I, I I really don't know. I know that there hasn't been as much um, there hasn't been as much. Um, 
like I said, funding or activity, and I don't specifically know what, you know, um, what I've been referring to more are the pipelines. You know, like we own a company that I've mentioned that I still really like, uh, Spire, ticker symbol SR, but what I like is the preferred SR PRA, which is, which is uh, yielding, the dividend yield is about 6%. This company is based in Missouri, and the pipelines that they work on that they're in the process of upgrading are predominantly in uh, Missouri and in the south because they have um, utilities in Alabama, Mississippi, and Missouri. But Missouri is really there where they have, um, you know, the lion's share business. But, you know, they've done a, they've done a really terrific job in reducing emissions, you know, upgrading these, the pipelines. Um, this is almost exclusively a natural gas company. I mean, that's their... Primary business, they do, um, they're also, they also do marketing, um, for the distribution of gas and the delivery of gas. That's part of their business. But there's, um, there's been a movement towards, um, upgrading this. But I think what, what, um, what has happened is that there's, you know, people are saying, okay, there are these alternative sources of energy. We don't necessarily need to do that. And so the funding, um, or the, let's put it, the priority has definitely, um, not gone from from the top of the list. It's you know it's come down the list, and so there hasn't been as much um, interest in in. Um, frankly, they're also having labor issues as well, trying to find people who are going to do the construction and maintenance. So that's you know those are like I said, those are two of the things that I that I, I believe need to change to to control inflation. And why and, do you uh, um, you uh, I know you agree with me on, on some level with my view of where the inflation is coming from, but I listened to Paul talk to, you know, God knows all the people in Congress yesterday with all the wacky stuff they talk about. But uh, I just, the, the money supply numbers for the end of December, of course, or the end of January, of course, we're a month behind, right? And it, and it, right. And it bothers yeah. a living bleep out of me because you can't tell me that these numbers aren't available and other people aren't getting them. When you have a guy that arrogant that says we're going to stop giving them to the general public, I, I want the guy to resign tomorrow. That's just me. But um, the money supply growth in January on an annualized basis is has is just like it's been for the last three months, which is about 13.5%. I figure our growth at best, real growth, is 3 to 4, which leaves us an inflation rate of 10, which is what we have. What... What else needs to be said about supply this, supply that? I mean, right. I, mean I, I mean, no matter what it is, if, if it, if it was, if it wasn't the supply chain causing celery to go up, it'd be something else. I mean, we, we learned this 40 that, years yeah, ago. I, yes. I mean, I we, absolutely agree with you. And, and, but I think part of what happens is that the communication of this is not really been, it's not, you know, people aren't really being educated on exactly what's happening and what they mean by supply chain. That, you know, I've noticed that there's a lot of people who will just throw out those words without a real understanding. And again, a lot of what has happened in the supply chain has to do with um, having trouble finding workers. Frankly, that's that's been the biggest the biggest um, obstacle uh, in terms of what they, we you know what we what's been happening on the both the you know fiscal and monetary side. Where you know on the you know we they've just been very slow to make the changes that need to be made um, to move it in the right direction and again I think there needs to be more focus on looking at the secular in the long term and just being okay with interest rates do go up there's a point where they do um, this process was delayed you know by the by a two-year period of of COVID and, and you know we're back and we're moving forward and 
there's no surprise that we have wage inflation, but that's been exacerbated by um, not only what the Fed has or hasn't done, mostly hasn't done, and also by uh, what's going on overseas now. So the combination of issues has just made, it's kind of come, it's all kind of come at the wrong time. So well, what I'm not necessarily saying that the outlook is blim. The, the, cons- the, the one thing I will say that is relatively positive in terms of the, you know, the optimism I had um, prior to the, you know, some of this happening, the war and the, and the, you know, lack, the lack, I call it the lack of action by the Fed. Um, prior to that, I was optimistic because we have so much money in the system still. And that money still has a ways to go. And some of it came from stimulus last year. But a lot of it also has come from, and I see this here in Florida, it comes from the equity that people have in their homes and the equity they have in their retirement accounts. So that money is not going away. We're not going to suddenly see a, you know, we're seeing a doubling of um, rent prices here in Florida. I mean, literally a doubling of rent rents and just, you know, a, a waiting list to buy no, no, you know, wars on home. So it's a, Dan, you can't, a you can't say that. Um, huge can't. amount of money out there in the system um, already, and it's, you know, as you're saying, it's, you know, and it continues to increase, or it hasn't been, there hasn't been any way of sort of containing that, and, and there needs to be. Dan, you can't say that because if you were to go to your uh, CPI, which these are the people you pay to tell you what the numbers are, you'll find it rents up 3 or 4%. In the na- nationally. So what is so what are you are you, uh, are you one of these rabble rousers sort of dudes though? You're, you're saying that the government's wrong. Um, well, not so much looking at the numbers and saying that they're wrong. I, I, I'm not. I'm not necessarily questioning that. I just think you need people need to understand where their numbers are coming from. But I do think there's a, a a large number of people who have a fair amount of equity. I do think there's a lot of um, you know, we talk about inflation, and when we talk about, people are talking about the food and gas, but they're not talking about the inflation we've seen in the housing market or the inflation that we've seen in the equity market. So there's been, you know, the asset growth that we've seen in both of those areas um, is, I think, is very significant and is certainly more significant um, than, you know, the, even the recent um, trends upward in, in, in inflation. So that but I, but I guess the the part is that the part that gives me some confidence is that there's still money. There's a fair amount of money out there, and I don't think we see people reeling in their spending anytime soon. Rent of primary res, uh, residents in the last year is up three point eight percent. Are you talking treason? What are you doing? Yeah, I'm talking Florida. Maybe that is treason. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I uh, I've talked to, in in my neighborhood, for example, that you know, it's it's. Almost double in some some places where you know rent prices, but it's at least fifty percent higher, and that's pretty much across at least the south south part of Florida, both coasts. Well, if it's if it's not official, it's not real. Well, it may be official <laughs> in, in regions, in certain regions. I don't think it's, a, it may be. it's the same way here, Dan. I mean, it, it, it's an embarrassment what these guys are coming out with these numbers. It's an embarrassment. I I don't I don't understand why all of a sudden we can't handle the truth, especially when we elect these people. I I don't. I just, I mean, I, I'm, I've never seen anything quite like this. Where, uh, well, the most, like I said earlier, I don't want to repeat, but the idea that we're not going to give out money supply numbers, we'll, we'll show these guys. <laughs> we, right. we won't yeah. give them the dough. Well, we won't is, give them I money. mean, that's why we do our own research, and that's why at Kratos we do our research on, on you know, the, the the CEOs of these companies that we invest in across all industries are really the best um, source of information for what's going on on the ground. So when we were talking about, you know. 
a while back what was happening with some of the uh, manufacturing facilities overseas. And I was, all I had to do was talk to a couple of the, the guys that run companies that have manufacturing facilities over there to find out what was going on with labor and, you know, whether they were fully staffed and whether they were up and operating. So, you know, granted, we're not following every company, but we at least get a pretty good taste of what's really happening. And then the other part is, you know, I think people need to open their eyes and be, pay attention to what's going on. And those things are, you know, a lot of it's common sense. So uh, you're, I, you're exactly right. A lot of what is, certainly a lot of what was said uh, the other night really wasn't common sense. I mean, besides some rhetoric that we all agree with that's kind of obvious, but, but a lot of it was really not backed up by facts, you know, not backed up by research, um, and maybe a little bit uh, leading people in the wrong direction. And, you know, I think people need to, in some ways, we need to do our own research. Fortunately, we have the tools to do that. Again, that's what we do here. But, the, the um, you know, there is a lot of money out there right now, which is, which is good and bad news, but it's mostly good news. Um, we can deal with rates. We, you know, rates should be going higher. Um, we well, can't Dan, really predict what's going on. Dan, we got a few minutes. I got a side, but we can we can look at the companies that we invest in and see how they're dealing with it. Uh, Dan, we got a few minutes. I want to just ask your opinion. And um, one of the things, as you know, I always seem a lot more nervous about the world than you do. I'm not so sure that's true, but that's just the way we both uh, talk about the world. Because uh, I think I think you're much a little closer to me than maybe you're, you're willing to let on. But sure. Yeah. But, here, but here's 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 my concern. I I don't have any problem. I think we do a good job for people. I think you do a good job for people. But in a quote, if there is such a thing, in a normal world, somebody wanders in off the street. I mean, I, I think we both give investment advice to people individually. We're not going to do whatever on the air. But if, if some dude and his wife walk in and it's, the world is normal and the risk-free rate is, you know, two, seven, five, three or something. And the guy says, we're never going to work another day. By the way, we got a million and a half bucks and we got our social security and we got no pension. I'm going to say that you and I are going to say, well, you know what? Uh, you got to have some cash. I mean, let's, let's face it. No matter what yes. happens, why don't we Absolutely. pick a number? It's 25%. And we're going to say, look, you got to get this guy. Dan's pretty damn good at, at finding good places. And if he has a mid cap place, he's going to find a place that, is much more likely to not go under than a normal mid-cap place. So I'm going to say, let's take another 30, 35% of your stuff and and give it to Dan, and I'll do the rest. And by the way, because the market doesn't look too frothy here, um, we're going to, you know, we're going to hedge some of it in case because something can always happen, an asteroid could hit the place. Let's do something, but we don't have to be crazy uh, protected, and we'll... Maybe sell a few calls. Or and try. I mean, th- this would be fairly simple. And you and I would be pretty comfortable that Ma and Pa are in pretty much the right place. That uh, even, if, even if the world went crappy, they got their cash, they got their stuff in bonds, and oh, by the way, the Chiefs got them at least half protected. Uh, you know, they're, they're 10, 15% at risk in the worst case. You know, we'd, we'd be happy with that. But now, those people aren't like that. It's like pulling teeth to get them to get you any money. There's nothing in cash, and there's 85% in the riskiest stocks they can find. So it's it's not just – to me, there's there's a wealth risk here, the likes of which I've never seen, other than maybe 2,000. Now, I'm, I'm hoping yeah, – no, I, 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 you, you are right. I absolutely agree with you 100%. And I think part of it also is, is what's happened with technology and with the ability for people – you know, information 
is available to everyone so people get information, they get it from different sources. You know, if somebody's made money, say, in Bitcoin or if they've made money in, you know, some of the go-go names on the, um, you know, tech names, the larger tech names, the Googles and the Amazons, they're going to think those things keep going and going because they haven't seen them. You know, in general, they've seen them going in one direction. And they're not realizing that, you know, for people like us who've been around for a while and we've seen changes in, over time, we know that there has to be, you know, there has to be a, there's a cycle that this goes through longer term. And if somebody is coming close to retirement or is approaching retirement, this is absolutely not the time to try to make up for what you lost by putting money into aggressive investments. Take, like you said, 10 or 15% of it and, you know, in a little more, um, growthy, you know, higher growth investments, but, but, you know, limit that. And like you're saying, limit that exposure and, uh, stay very well diversified. And I think we both agree on, you know, gold and silver is a good hedge. Um, you know, having some money in, in fixed income, certainly income, um, generating, whether it be, you know, dividend stocks, preferred stocks, um, uh, REITs, um, these are kind of steady eddies that will make it through and, you know, not worrying about the day-to-day fluctuations. Dan, yeah, we got a dashboard. I've talked to dudes that have a $5 million account, and if they get assigned on a call or something, and there's 50000 in cash, they call up the next day, why am I in cash? And these guys, these guys are, they're not, they're not young. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Well, soon, actually soon we're going to be getting paid a little more in cash, and soon yeah. we're going to have, and one idea, by the way, that I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to throw out is that keep an eye on high yields. Yeah. The short-term high yield, there's going to be some good, you know, sort of cash alternatives, if you will. Getting 375 basis points over, over, you know, a two year or, you know, a short bond with, you know, with pretty, you know, limited credit risk. So, Dan, a few of my guys, we got a dash, but I you, think that will make it easier for people that have a you know, I have a couple, allocation. I have a couple clients that, uh, are into some of your stuff and they're pretty happy. Uh, thanks, buddy. Talk at you next week. Have a good one. Uh, good luck Thank on the, tomorrow's bike ride. You know, another, could be another nice day tomorrow. You never know. We're not bike riding here. It's 30 today. SP Futures <laughs> up, SP Futures now up 11. NASDAQ Futures up 16. We're going to, the, going up here today so far. Be right back. Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas, and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know, all while exploring how to live your best life through music, spirits, food, sports, travel, fitness, and a whole lot more. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures. It's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into Wall Street's investment gurus. It's for mavericks who believe in life, luxury, and the pursuit of happiness. It's for you. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities. They play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howe, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. 
PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and try to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of HomeSource Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-3456. That's 708-349-3456. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, North Face Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tom Howell. Eliani on the board. A couple of uh, good guests so far. Now we're going to have Mr. John Flanagan, and we're going to talk a little about the Mike Madigan situation. Isn't that wild, Eliani? It's a... in, yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's pretty crazy. Yes, <laughs> SP futures now up nine. It was just up fifteen. Uh, SA futures up six. So we're we're pushing to the positive here just a little bit. But so far, an in, inside day. Dow futures up eighty nine. Individual stocks in the Dow that are causing that. Uh, what do we have? We got uh, nothing much crazy. Everybody's up just a little bit. Goldman Sachs up two sixty three. That would that would help some. We've got uh, Apple up forty nine cents, but nothing nothing crazy. Uh, over over in Europe, we've got uh, DAX down ninety point seven percent, FTSE down fifty point seven percent, CAC around up three. Call that flat. Over in Asia, we've got the Nikkei. Now these guys were all down yesterday. Nikkei up one eighty four point seven percent, Shanghai down three. Call that flat. Hang Seng up one twenty three. That's point five percent. At the review of yesterday, Dow was up five ninety six. Almost the exact same number was down the day before. S and P was up eighty. Nasdaq futures up two nineteen. Bonds are coming back. Well, actually, they're down a tick. They're at a 1.85, but they were down at 1.71. They really back yesterday during the day. Uh, Bun, positive now, positive 0.05. It had ducked negative a little bit on Tuesday. Japan, positive 0.17. Come back where it's been like for a while. Uh, oil, still going up, up 3 bucks, 113.79. Brent up 360, 116.53. Natural gas unchanged at 475. Arbob, 342, up another 11 cents. Yeah, I'm not sure we're going to have to pay to fill up the Suburban this weekend. I should have filled it up last weekend. Big, big mistake over there. Uh, gold up 1220, 1934. Silver up 31 cents, 2550. Copper up 9 cents, 474. And we have, uh, Bitcoin down 125, but still over 43,000 by a lot. 43,677. In the NBA, Suns beat Trailblazers last night, 120 to 90, and Bulls will be playing ATL Hawks tonight. In hockey, uh, Black Hawks will be playing the Oilers tonight, and Coyotes will be playing the Avalanche this evening, so look forward to those games. In college basketball, SIU loses to Tennessee State, 62 to 77, and Arizona Wildcats will be playing Stanford tonight. Big game. And Chicago right now, currently pretty cloudy, still waiting for the sun to peek through. Uh, 
with a high of 33 and a low of 27. And Phoenix, partly cloudy, 58 with a high of 88 and a low of 57. Really busy morning on the roads this morning. We have traffic eastbound on 290 between Highway 45 all the way to downtown approaching the 290 I-94 construction intersect. Traffic westbound on 290 between Holman and 1st. We have traffic eastbound on I-90 between the I-190 West Ramp and Lawrence. Traffic westbound on I-90 between Lawrence and West Higgins. Uh, traffic eastbound on 94 between Tui and South Union. Massive line of traffic on I-94 uh, between 130th and West Dempster. We have traffic west uh, northbound on I-55 between Route 171 and South Kedzie. Uh, we have more traffic on 55 southbound between South Damon and Cicero. Bit of traffic uh, northbound on Lakeshore Drive between South Oakland and East Grand. And we have traffic southbound on Lakeshore between Lower Randolph and East Roosevelt. That's what I have. A lot of stuff. Oh, you're, you're out of breath. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, every more, well, we have more people more people driving. Think more people are coming in. We have Mr. Flanagan. You sure do, Tom. What's good up, morning. man? How are you? We got, uh, got a couple of... A couple of guests were pretty good today. Lou was pretty informative and all that stuff going well, on. Well, I'm with him on what he was saying about the you know the Russian mindset and our inability to to read it or to understand or or, or you know deal with it. Um, I think he, he's he's really you know, a good one to listen to about all this. What uh, I mean, you 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 and Lou like like to read all these. Uh, Odd books about all these odd people. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saying that in, in, a, in, a, in a complimentary Being way. Being an odd person yeah. myself, though. <laughs> but I mean, how did people? I'll ask you the same question I asked Lou. Huh? When the people around Putin may have had this mindset to start with, they might have all been, you know, tough KGB guys, and you know, you wouldn't mess with this guy, and you know, all this kind of crap, which is probably very true, by the way. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're you know. They're sixty years old. They got the big pot belly, and they got the massive yacht and the dock. Do they really want any of this crap, or do they just want to say, "Look, I, I, I'm fine the way I am." I mean, you, you lose your edge, I think, especially when you get that fat and happy. Do, do they really want their their yacht being grabbed from them? Do they really want to lose the the Knicks if they bought the team? Do they, I mean, I, I know they still have the old the old Russian mindset, but it fades. I mean, it, I think I think it does. What do you think? I think it's not likely to fade fast enough for, you know, the West's objectives here. Right. I think, you know, Washington and the EU, they're, they're banking on this happening sooner rather than later. But again, it, it's the fallacy of thinking that, you know, the Russian mindset is, you know, relatable or understandable in our terms. And I have to say, it's, it's not. <laughs> so we can we can think that maybe there's some individuals who are going to, you know, Capitulate or, or turn on Putin and you know start some kind of rebellion against this you know enterprise, but I just don't see that happening on the on the West timetable at all. And it's more likely it will not happen. So I, I don't think we're prepared for that kind of you know response. I think we we assume just like Lou was talking about pressuring the Russians with economic sanctions and everything else. They don't care about that stuff. They're in for a, you know, a haul much longer than anything that can be measured by that. Uh, that's how they survived World War II. Um, and I think they're, they're prepared to do it again if they have to. And Putin's been probably shrewd enough to surround himself with people who see it the same way he does. So I don't think there's too many cracks in this edifice. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to say that uh, the difference between the way our 
parents thought about things uh, and maybe you and I because we grew up when those people were still very very vibrant and very intelligent and we knew where they came from um, the, the, the gap between people our age and our kids and certainly our grandkids is huge I mean to do I mean, how many, how many generations, I mean, does the Putin's kids really give a crap about the old KGB guys, days? I mean, I don't know. I mean, the kids here don't care. I mean, I, I mean, on one hand, you're right, they have a different mindset. On the other hand, kids are kids. And if you've, if you've never, uh, experienced it, I mean, how can it be in your, I mean, it, 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 it does fade. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I, I, I mean, you and Lou are right, by the way. We think it's fading. I might think it's fading by economics, uh, faster than, than, than it probably is, but I don't think I'm wrong by saying by every day it fades a little. Well, it, it you know, maybe it fades in in one direction, but I think it's it's being you know solidified or strengthened in other ways. You got to remember too that, that Putin and his generation emerged out of the the breakup of the Soviet Union, and the the way that memory is reviled, in, you know, by most Russians who lived through it and saw. The, the depths of the corruption and the cruelty, uh, they're not going... They, I mean, they survived that, too, just like they survived the war. Oh. Um, they've been down these roads before, and I, I, they see them as kind of, you know, resilience builders. And as, as Lou said, they're, they're pessimistic. They're very fatalistic about this. They don't get nervous about, well, we better do this now, then we can cut our losses and live to fight another day. That is not how they see it at all. I, I, and I think... The Soviet experience, if anything, has made them more willing to, you know, draw a line in the sand and not capitulate on this stuff. So I, I don't think we're prepared for that mindset at all. That is not how we function. That's not how we conduct our, our diplomacy and geopolitics at all. I just, but uh, it, it, by just, failing to understand what motivates the Russians, I think we're the ones who are going to get suckered into a long, drawn-out, painful encounter here. Well, I, I hope not. I just, I, uh, like I said, I'm not, I'm just, I'm always pushing to find the, 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 or the, the, for you guys to know more and me to define your terms a little bit. I just, I mean, at some point, there's gotta be some 45 year old Russian living in, in Vladivostok that's 90 bazillion miles from, uh, from Ukraine whose son just died there and is saying, what are we doing? I mean, I, mean, I, I, I he may have a, more a little bit more of a mindset toward it than the average forty-five-year-old here, but it's not the same as a seventy-year-old Russian. I I refuse to believe that. I you know, you you guys are probably right. It's way more, it's way less than the way I think, and more the way you think. But I mean, there's got to be people that are wondering. What, I don't even know where Ukraine is. What do I care? We we've had no problem with these people for thirty years. What are we doing? And that's unfortunately, I think the the, the attitude that we bring to the table. By we, I mean you know. The, the Biden administration and what passes for its leadership, they're, they're conducting this as if they've just been frozen in time, and they think they're, they're dealing with a, you know, a regime that they can weaken and destroy. And I, I'm sorry, I just, I think they're, they're fooling themselves, and maybe they're, they're trying to fool everybody else, and the media is certainly, certainly trying to fool everybody because the, the drumbeat, you know, anti-Russia pro, Ukraine, whatever your sympathies are, it shows that this is just some kind of campaign 
and maybe they're trying to convince themselves more than the Russians, but I don't know in the long run they're going to convince anybody. Well, the, they're the, certainly not going, not going to convince Putin, believe me. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, but the idea, it, it's just a bad, in this day and age, you, you, no matter where you are, you, you've got to you got to be careful of how things show. In a, a show of a twenty mile long line of tanks, and all of a sudden buildings would have the building missing. Even if, you know, it, even if somebody's pulling out a, a you know a picture from twenty years ago, which I think people are, uh, you know, I mean, it just it it the dog doesn't hunt, Jen. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, people are pissed at it. I mean, I, well, you know, if, if there is any kind of resolution, Tom, it's going to mean a sacrifice on our part too. Because remember how the, the Cuban Missile Crisis was resolved, and you know. We saw it as a victory. You know, Kennedy, you know, had a military blockade in place, and we're ready. We were ready to go to war over having Russian missiles 90 miles from Florida. Um, the, the way that got resolved was Khrushchev, you know, pulled back. But they also got us to pull back in Europe too, and we didn't even talk about that. We didn't. We didn't want anybody to know what we had given up in order to get the Russians to do that. And unless we're prepared to give up something equally valuable to us in exchange for you know Putin's pulling back from Ukraine there's, there's no point to any of this stuff so maybe it will be twisted by historical accounts the way that the resolution of the Cuban Missile Crisis was to make it look like a total victory for the U.S. which it was not um, but we're going to have to be prepared to give up something you know we don't want to give up if we want Putin to, to change any of his tactics here and I, don't, I hope somebody in the CIA or the State Department or the Joint Chiefs of Staff has thought what that could be and if we have to offer it we're, we're prepared to go along with it and, and live by it but I don't know knowing this crowd if they thought about any of this well stuff. Kennedy had the same issue during the Cuban Missile Crisis I remember reading something where uh, the Russians brought up the uh, missiles in Turkey right. and Kennedy had ordered months before that those things he thought they were uh, you know a, a a uh, impediment. It was a thorn in their side they didn't need. Plus, they were old, crummy missiles. He had ordered them out, and the army didn't pull them out. From what I understand, they were they dragged their feet on pulling them out. And his, his first question was, "What do you mean they're still there?" Sounds right to me. Yeah, I mean that, that's the way. I mean that's what Kennedy was kind of up against with, with the Bay of Pigs and everything. Else. Yeah, he's like, "What do you mean? He didn't you, have a unified you know, No, what do you mean they're still there? Hey, I have to shift gears on you because yep. uh, I have to talk to you about uh, Michael Madigan. Mr. Madigan. <laughs> what? Uh, here, now, put your attorney hat on and don't tell me you're semi-retired. As long as you, once a lawyer, always a lawyer. Guys like you and Lou and Brendan. Uh, the uh, How is it that Hamilton Edison has been pulling this crap for 100 and plus years now? And they've 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 given millions of dollars to people. They've gotten all this legislation through. Your electric bill goes up every friggin' month, damn near, or every year. Uh, they have they have managed to to pull stunts or managed to get stunts through that I never dreamed anybody would. And yet, how are they held harmless? They're just going to go. Okay, that guy's going to jail. Maybe where's the next guy? We'll pay him. And I the thing that <laughs> I won't. I won't give his name unless I change my mind in a second. I'll tell a story about uh, another attorney friend of mine, and I go into this uh, fundraiser for the Republican head of the Senate at the time, head of the state Senate, and uh, 
the first person I bump into is a very attractive, very well-dressed, very articulate young lady who is a lobbyist for Commonwealth Edison. And she's there ponying up, you know, paying for the cocktail party, paying for the dinner, all that other kind of stuff. Now, that particular, that guy, <laughs> who, who it was his fundraiser, and he's, uh, and he, you know, I shook hands with him that night. And, uh, and now last night on the TV, I was watching Channel 7, there he was giving a speech outraged at how crooked Michael Madigan was for taking money from Commonwealth Edison. And I'm sitting there going, good God. <laughs> I, I, I almost, if I was, if I had a, t- a gun, I might have shot the TV, like Elvis, you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, is, is our population really this, are, are we going to walk into Commonwealth Edison? And, and, and have the, uh, take the chairman and everybody on the board and put them in jail for a month? Are we going to, uh, all, everything that, that was, that was made on the last three or four rate increases, are we going to take half of it back out of the salaries of those people? Are we going to do nothing? I think we're going to do nothing. Nothing. Well, what, what we'll do, and we have done it, you know, we charged a $200 million fine against ComEd. Okay. Which to them is just oh that's just an entry on our balance sheet. Did somebody it just doesn't go discourage future actions like this. It doesn't clean up their leadership or anything else. So they're they're happy to pay that. That's just like you know paying the toll. And you know what, Jan? It's an expense right. they, that they can right. take it to the next one. Like, yeah, we, we got our, our our expenses went up last year by two hundred million. You owe us seven percent return. You got to we got to raise rates because it's all factored in. It yeah. doesn't bother. And uh, there clearly is no willingness certainly under Madigan, to do anything more than that. Um, and there hasn't been any willingness in the Democratic Party machinery to do anything about Madigan until now either, although they had many op- opportunities and, and certainly prob- probable cause at a lot of junctures to do something about it. But no, nobody want, wanted to touch it. You know, you know what I think is interesting, Tom, and, and I'd like your thoughts on this too. You're talking about the, the original, you know, Mayor J. Daley, Richard J. Daley, the other you know, hour today, but he was of a, of a political class where he, he really did have a love for the city and a vision for the city. You might completely disagree with the vision he had, and it wasn't the correct vision, maybe in every angle, looking back in history. But he, he got things done that, by and large, you know, were, were spectacular achievements for any big city mayor to do. And that's he was content to that. He didn't have dreams of being the governor. He didn't want to be a senator. He, he certainly didn't want to be president. And then you have Mike Madigan, who's he's, who's even more insular. <laughs> he kind of he he had no interest in being a governor. Why? Because he's got more power than any governor in the last forty years. Why? Why would he trade the position he's got? But what kind of vision did this guy have? But everybody, I'm still trying to figure out what it was all about. And if it was just enriching him, he'd have to be pretty rich to justify this kind oh, of it's, it's massive devotion power. to this task. What was his vision? His ma- massive power and the, the money that you can use to influence other people. I, uh, I'm i going to lob this out there because I'm 90% sure on this one. I mean, I've, I've talked, not recently, because this, the state has gotten uh, got all this money from the federal government. I think, I think John, they're actually fairly current, if not current, on their, on their bills, right? I, I I, I think it's certain bills. I think <laughs> no. I, th- I think they are. I mean, for a long time it was. I mean, but people don't look at the. I use the the, the flotsam and the jetsam. The the, the the carcasses along the way, when when states do that, anybody and, and I don't and I don't expect 
people to uh, be necessarily aware of this on their daily basis. They got families, they got kids, they got, they got dogs. <laughs> I'm going to deal with Audrey's at my place. Uh, I mean, I, I, I will never accuse anybody of because they don't stick their nose in, a, in the same book that you and I do that something's wrong with them. I don't. They they have other things they're doing that we're not doing that's probably more important. I, I, I get all that. But to not understand how, how this all fits together, at least in some way, I, I really do believe that they should start doing economic classes in high school. I mean, that maybe it's just my passion or whatever, but you, you, you look around and you, and you say, how come... When I drive down the block, there's a Walgreens, there's a CVS. Wow, there's a Walgreens, there's a CVS. Gee, there's a CVS, there's a Walgreens. And, and then you're going to go to Walmart, and they got they got a drugstore, and you're going to go to Target, but I think they have CVS now, right? Yep. But, I mean, you're going to see uh, uh, Myers has a has a drugstore. They're they're around, and you're going to say, well, gee, where the hell are? Without even knowing it, the building you're looking at that might be a saloon, it might be God knows what it is, used to be a drugstore. And you ask yourself. Okay, why are all these people out of business? Now, part of it's being big, that you can be a pharmacy benefit manager, and I could go through, especially if my buddy John Dyer was with us, I could go through this whole mess and how the, if you're a pharmacy benefit manager, how you how you can basically cheat the system and do better than a drugstore. But bottom line, John, is, is that the state didn't pay these places for a year or two sometimes, right? Right. And no, and no, I mean, it's, it's one thing... And the, and the generic drugs where they made some money, they could do that. But if you go buy a prescription for two hundred bucks that the that the drugstore bought for one seventy five and doesn't get paid the one the, the two hundred for a year or two, you got a problem if you're a regular person. If you're Walgreens and you can go out and get money at three percent, maybe it's not a problem. But that that should be able to be taken care of very easily, normally. It's called factoring receivables, which has been around since the buttonwood tree, right? Which means that if if I have a a place where I'm selling, you know, whatever it is, bearings to five, five or six huge companies, and I give them 60 days to pay or 90 days to pay, I can take those invoices and I can go to a local bank and I can say, hey, look at these 10 people, 20 people, 100 people. They've been paying me since God knows when. They owe me a million dollars. The bank will say, we'll give you, we'll give you, uh, 990,000 today and we'll, we'll take the rest 60 days now or 980 or whatever. Hope. It's called factoring your receivables, and it's been done forever. However, the state of Illinois wouldn't necessarily do that unless you were an approved bank or an approved person. Now, on top of that, the state was paying if you if you didn't weren't getting paid over like six months or whatever the number was. I, I go back and find out they they paid you twelve percent on that on that money. So if you were one of the two or three people. That, so what happened was Illinois would not let you assign U.S. Steel's debt to the state, which is what happens when you factor something. They don't owe me anymore. They owe the bank. Okay, so I essentially sell the bank the debt. The state would not allow anybody to transfer that debt except for, like, three players. One of them was Maddie, from what I understand. So that's a massive amount of cash, John. Uh, I... I I don't know. I could speculate the other two are, but I'm not going to blurt the names out because I'm not 100% positive. But I believe, I believe, and I could be wrong, that one of them was Maddie. This is a tremendous, if you're talking about, you know, even if it's 50 million bucks, 100 million bucks of, of money that all of a sudden you can get a loan at one of your local banks for 5% or 6 the state's paying you 12 John, even you and I can make money doing that. 
Now, now why was this? Now, they just stopped doing this. Like a month month or a week ago, did you hear about they're not paying the 12% anymore? Yeah. Well, I'm sitting there. As soon as I heard that, I go, Wait a minute. Well, they must. I think it's they are. Down. Well, I think they are paying. So, but these guys have found ways to make money out of the from the state, and, and I think it goes back to um, everybody. And you know this better than me. How many people in the state, up, up and down? How many people in the state are considered a full time employee uh, that work for the? I'm not talking about school teachers and those people. I'm talking about elected officials. How many people are considered a full-time employee? I'm going to say, in Chicago, it's one. It's the mayor. Right. And I'm going to say... None of the aldermen. No, none of the aldermen. And I'm going to say, uh, in the state, it's the governor, probably the secretary of state, probably that four or five elected people, comptroller... Probably uh, attorney general. Attorney general. I'm going to say there's less than ten in the whole state. So all the other people, state senators, state reps, aldermen, everybody, all the... Uh, uh, what's his name? The Cook County Task Assessor. If you ask him what he does for a living, he'll say I'm a lobbyist. Right? Yeah. I, it's, it's my side gig. And oh, by the way, I got a hell of a lot of power there, so you better hire me for your, for my lobbying firm. And Eddie Verdoliak made, made all his money representing people in work, workman's camp claims against the city while he was an alderman. I mean, you couldn't write fiction like this, Jen. Well, to add to this, Tom, the fact that Madigan's power extended all the way through the county, not just Cook County either. But the entire judicial system, you'd be hard-pressed to find any judicial candidate that hadn't been signed off on by Madigan. I'm going to say Burke was a little more involved there. Uh, I think Burke had, was, you know, enthralled to Madigan, though. Maybe. And Madigan clearly was the power behind Burke, which is strange in a way that this, you know, indictment, you know, the, the sequencing here is interesting, because normally you would think they would go after the smaller fish, first, as they have, to smoke out the, the stuff on the bigger one to get more evidence. And now, I don't know, I mean, it looks like you know, they're putting the cart before the horse, but but certainly Madigan had protected himself and insulated himself from all sorts of scrutiny by controlling the judicial process. I can't allege or prove that any particular judge was in his pay or anything else, but I certainly have to think that the reason he was on the lookout for to run on these judicial races was because he knew who he could control, and the ones he couldn't control just went away. Was well, daughter? Was, you know, he got people to run unopposed. He forced people off the ballot. He's done this, you know, like the, the ultimate master when it came to manipulating the slating and the, the balloting. So, is he? What what threat was there to his power? Well, you, you the, control certainly not the, the media always. All you have to do is be able to control, I mean, to get down to brass tacks, if you want to run for anything in Illinois, you got to go through this ridiculous signature process. Everybody they don't like, they challenge, and you get thrown. Not everybody, but damn well, everybody. It's, it's, I mean, if you have a bunch of part-time workers like Madigan had, I mean, if there's nobody who's going to tell them they wouldn't do his bidding, they'd get all these circulators out. Yeah. You could have an army of people and get some schlub to fill this spot, anybody who was trying to do it at a grassroots level had to go out and do it on their own time. Nobody was paying them to do it. They had to take time off from their families or their jobs to go out and get signatures. And then the, the threshold to get on the ballot yeah. is guaranteed to make it almost impossible for the grassroots person to have any it's kind of tough. serious contention. So, John, thank you very much, buddy. Uh, we'll talk at you on Monday. Uh, yep. Irish, Irish lost a tough one last night. I don't know if you watched, but they lost at Florida State. Good game. Yeah, I was about the very end. I didn't see the rest of it, but.
Well, they, they, um, they yeah, lost it. Yeah, well, it was a few points. They're still okay, I think. SP Futures up 26 now. NASDAQ Futures down 494. We're gaining some strength. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI ProDirect. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. Cairo Med. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968. What is your nationality? I'm a drunkard. <laughs> <laughs> and that makes Rick a citizen of the world. 